The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you would now look with me in Romans, our study is in verses 21 through 26, but in order to understand the importance of this content in its context, y'all forgive me for my allergies, but uh, sometimes some flowers I have a, a bigger issue with, I'm sorry. Uh, look with me in, in verses, uh, I want to just give this foundational for us. Uh, verse 9, would you look there with me in Romans 3, 9? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged indictment that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. I'm always grateful for the hunger for God's word that so many of you evidence Lord's Day after Lord's Day. It's a great privilege to preach God's word to you. I'm also grateful for what I what I call uh, pew patients, uh, that is those who occupy the pew to patiently work through a text uh, instead of just rush through it uh, because of its importance and various reasons. And that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking you to come back to verses 21 through 26 where we were last week. But I want to specifically do something for you. I want to come back to that content of last week. And when we walk away, there are three words of extraordinary gravitas, of extraordinary life-changing power. I want to make sure you've got it. You embrace it. You hold fast to it. You understand it. And it has you. And now there's a couple of reasons why, uh, pastoral reasons for this. Uh, number one is this. Um, we are obviously living in an age of theological downgrade. Um, we are losing 
the integrity of biblical uh, gospel preaching, teaching, confessing, not in the already apostate churches, but even in evangelical churches. We've got a pragmatic gospel, a pragmatic gospel there's a therapy gospel, there's a, uh, uh, there's a, um, uh, a prosperity, a, a, a therapy, um, another gospel, false gospels. There are all kinds of adulterated versions of the gospel, false gospels that are out there, half gospels that are out there. And, um, and as much as I, try, I, I want to and do want to deal with, even as I'm doing with this matter of progressive Christianity on Sunday nights, the fact is you can't just get around and get to all of them. You've got to trust the fact that God's people know one sixteen ounces to the pound biblical gospel, that they got it, that they understand it. So when a false gospel comes, a half gospel comes, another gospel comes, a celebrity gospel comes, a... Um, uh, a therapy gospel comes, a moralistic gospel comes, when a legalistic gospel comes, a libertine gospel comes, whenever those things come, and they're going to come. Listen, Jesus told us this. Jesus told us in that concluding sermon of the sermons that are recorded of his in the scripture, in the one uh, that he gives to them at the Olivet Discourse, uh, that they're going to arise false prophets, false Christ, false teaching. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The gospel is, is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of the Christian life. If Satan can get us off course, deterred, detoured, if he can get us distracted from that gospel or get that gospel infiltrated with error, adulterated, if he can do that, then every other doctrine in the word of God is going to be affected. So, so this text is a gospel-rich text of Scripture. And so I want to stay there because if we can grasp this, then when all of this myriad of error-filled gospel preaching comes, no matter how wonderfully it's packaged, no matter how, how in, no matter how, um, um, no matter how effectively it's pre it's presented, you will be able to say, no, that's not right. This is what God's Word said. This is the good news. And you will be able to understand that. And you'll be able to deal with that. Paul told us this was coming. Paul told the, Ephesus, the elders at Ephesus, upon my departure, savage wolves will come in. And they're going to do two things. Teach twisted things and draw the disciples after themselves. So be on guard. He tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and your doctrine so that you will ensure salvation for your hearers. Jude says it. Peter says it. James says it. Uh, all of the writers of the Scripture. But, but I think about how Jesus tells us so powerfully and so pointedly uh, that there are going to come these false teachers. 
And you need to be ready and you need to test them. But the best thing to do is to know the truth. But let me say, Pastor Lee, another reason. Folks, I, I just sense I'm in, living in an era where so many things are sifting and shifting and sorting that even God's people um, are allowing unmet anxieties and fears to take hold of life. Listen, I understand there's concerns. And I understand there's a lot going on. My goodness, I do a program every day, 10 minutes, trying to address those things from a Christian world and life view. But folks, these things ought not to control our lives. They ought not to fill our hearts and our souls. It is the joy of our salvation. It is the joy of the Lord. It is the triumph of Christ. It is the truth of his word that ought to fill us to overflowing. That's what ought to have hold of us. That we who know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who know the glorious truth of the gospel and what God has done in his son and all of his promises that he is going to work all things together for his glory. That doesn't lead to a complacent life, but it does lead to a life where all of the social, political, and cultural movements do not dictate our heart, our soul. What dictates to our heart and our soul is our God reigns. And he has saved us. And he will not let us go. And that's where we rest. And that's where our joy. This, but these things are, this isn't new. This has happened time and time again. Jesus warned us it would come, and it does come, and it has come. Sometimes it's come with such a ferocity, uh, such as the 16th century, when the, when the state church, the professing church, the leadership was utterly corrupt, uh, ethically, sexually, uh, power hungry the 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 clerical corruption was just um was just heartbreaking not only was clerical corruption heartbreaking but the gospel was shrouded the people were manipulated the truth wasn't being preached superstition reigned false manipulative doctrines such as purgatory were being used uh, and indulgences all kinds of things no clear testimony of the gospel was being declared but in the midst of all of that, God raised up these reformers who knew the gospel, believed the gospel, understood the gospel, proclaimed the gospel, and with the gospel as their foundation, with the gospel as their formation, with the gospel of grace as their motivation, they walked into the church of Jesus Christ to call her to faithfulness of being on mission, on message, and in ministry. And then from that church and out of that church, they went into the world and cut loose was a movement that is that's still reverberating to this day that we still are being blessed by it in the reformation and all of its impact well that's why i'm that's why i'm here in this text calvin from this text says this is the linchpin luther from this text says this is the cardinal doctrine. 
How can man who's wrong with God be right with God and God still be holy? How can that be possible? There, I, I'm wanting to stay a couple of weeks here. They built a whole reformation from this paragraph. The whole reformation. The reformation was captured in these uh, glorious truths. Sola scriptura. The scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. Sola gratia. We're saved by grace alone. Sola fide, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Sola Christus, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Sola Deo Gloria, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. All of those are found right in this paragraph. They are brought right out of this paragraph. And if this paragraph lays hold of your heart, then the world and Satan cannot lay hold of your heart with his intimidation, his infiltration. That you're filled to overflowing with the truth of who your God is and what your God has done to save you from your sins. And that God is both just and the justifier of sinners in salvation. So the Apostle Paul gave us a little taste of this gospel when he began this epistle. He kind of whetted our appetite. And that Romans 1, 16 and 17 that we all love and know. I'm not I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm unashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. So here he has said to us, there's this glorious good news that the power of God has been arrayed to save sinners from all from every corner of the world, from all of humanity. And the righteousness of God has been displayed and revealed in order to secure those saved sinners and that they can never be lost. And the holy, and the holy God is satisfied that they are right with him. And that is all found in his son, Jesus Christ. And it is brought to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And after wetting our appetite with this glorious message of this good news, he then takes into three chapters to bring all of humanity to the day of Christ's coming when he comes to bring judgment, when he comes to bring the wrath of God against all sin, and when he comes and all men must appear before them. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment that we will all stand before God who will render to every man according to his works, so declares the gospel, Paul says. And so he now 
brings us all there. And as this prosecuting attorney, he has relentlessly dismantled every strategy, every excuse. And he got to the end of it, which I just read. And when he got to the end of it, he gave the indictment and he gave a pro, he gave, he declared the indictment and he described the indicted. The, the indictment was clear. All, every single one of us, until God's grace lays hold of you, all of us are in this world as children of Adam, and we are under the law, under sin, under the wrath of God, and we are helpless, and we are hopeless. And not only are we indicted, the indicted are displayed. None righteous, not one. All have turned aside. None seek for God. There's not even the hint of the fear of God in their eyes. The way of peace they have not known. That we are dead in our sins. Under the law. Under sin. Under the wrath of God. I wish you could feel what I feel in the original languages. I know some of you can, but he gets to that point. The courtroom is silent. Every mouth has been stopped. And everyone accountable. And you can, as I said last week, you can almost hear his footsteps walking from the prosecutor's table to the defense table and turning to look not at the judge but at you, me, us and saying to us but now, now, as of right now, in this present time, there's an answer. And he describes it for us. And we, let me just, if you would, let me read it. But let me give you this simple statement. The good news of the gospel now that's present this good news of the gospel for helpless and hopeless sinners is the power of God, that the power of God has provided a righteousness of God in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's what he announces in these verses. He doesn't need to tell it to the judge because the judge is the one who has provided it. But he's telling us good news. I have something for you now. And so here you find it in verses 21 through 20. Would you read it through and walk through it with me if you would? <clears throat> but now... The righteousness of God 
the righteousness of God, not my righteousness like filthy rags, but now, but in contrast to being under sin, under the law, under the wrath of God, with no hope, no, no power, no ability, that you are spiritually dead, sinfully guilty, with no hope whatsoever, but in contrast to that, now, right now, right now, the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been revealed, or has appeared apart from the law. Now stop right there. What is he talking about? Folks, this is simple. He's talking about Jesus. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about Titus 2.11. But the grace of God has now appeared, bringing salvation. He's talking about 2,000 years ago in space, time, and history. Christianity is not a theoretical concept. Christianity is not simply a wish list. Christianity is not a philosophical proposal. Christianity is the truth of God revealed in time and history. But now, right now, this present time, Paul says, we now have the answer. And the answer isn't in the law because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It's an answer apart from the law. What is the answer apart from the law? The answer is what was said to Joseph. You shall call his name Yeshua because he shall save his people from their sin. The answer is found in Timothy where he says, Paul says to Timothy about Christ, there is one mediator between God and man. The man now, this man, Christ Jesus, the son of God having come in the flesh. It is that now at this time, there's the glorious truth of what Paul also says when he says this, we are confident of this very thing that God has provided a redeemer. This is something we have confidence in, that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Or John says, the Son of God has now appeared to destroy the works of the evil one. This is what has happened in space and time and history. And all of God's revelation before was pointing to it. But now it's come. And the it is the person of Christ, our mediator, our advocate, my sure defense, my righteousness, the power of God to save dead sinners and bring us to God clothed with the righteousness of God. That's what's happened now. And that's what he announces. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. There's nothing wrong with the law and the prophets. They weren't given to save us. They have no power to save us. They were given to show us we need a Savior. They were given to give us the knowledge of sin and to tell us God's promised a Redeemer. God is promising the one who will save us from these sins. The law and the prophets showed us our need, and the law and the prophets told us the need was going to be met by God himself through his son, our Savior and our Lord. That was the purpose of the law and the prophets. They bore witness to it. 
what did they bear witness to? Our salvation. How is our salvation? Look at the next verse. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is where it's found. It's found in salvation, a righteousness of God that's not yours. It's God's. How does it become yours? How does it become yours to save you? It becomes yours when you, by faith, put your trust in Christ alone. And all who put their trust in Christ alone, all who believe, for there is no distinction now, no distinction. No longer is it the focus in the nation of Israel through whom the Redeemer comes. Now this good news is going to all the nations, even as he promised Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So now we have this one who is now being proclaimed without distinction to the clean and the unclean, to the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Why? Because they are all in need of a Savior. For all have sinned and fall short short of the glory of God. In other words, we're born into this world where, and this is a very, this is a very euphemistic way of saying something unbelievably horrific. We're all sinners falling short of God's glory. What is God's glory? Him and eternity, a new heavens and a new earth. And unless you're in Christ, you won't be there. You'll fall short of that, and you'll be under the wrath of God instead of with the glory of God. But God has built a way for you to be brought to Emmanuel's land, to glory. And that is in and through his son, Jesus Christ. How do I get this? Here's what he says. Now watch this. Justified. Underline it. By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That statement is what Calvin says is the hinge. That statement is what Luther says is the cardinal truth. This is at ground zero for sinners to be saved. How are we saved? Hear these words, grace, faith, Christ alone. We are justified by his grace. That's a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't want it. That was given to us as a grace. How? Here the, through the redemption, the redeeming work of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a, there's another word, propitiation by his blood to be received. How? By faith. You hear it? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over sins. In other words, God has been patient to do this at the right time. God demonstrated his love for us at the right time when Christ 
Christ went to the cross. God was patient. He didn't bring his judgment when he could have upon our sin. He was patient. And the patience of God is designed to bring us to repentance and faith in Christ. So he has been patient up until this point. And now he has provided the answer for us. But now Christ has been revealed. And it was to show his righteousness now at the present time so that we might be the just so that he might be just holy righteous and justifier making innocent the one who has faith in Jesus and that's ultimately what it is if you don't have faith in Jesus you can't be right with God He is the way, the truth, and the life. This is a scandal to the world. Here, it's not a scandal to me. That's because Jesus got the world out of you. This is a scandal. We do not want to be told that our lives are offensive to God. That's an offense to us, to hear that our lives are offensive to God. Then we don't want to be told that we can't save ourselves if we are offensive to God. Then we don't want to be told that our religion can't save us. And then we don't want to be told that Jesus is the only way to be saved. I had this wonderful testimony last um, Wednesday night. I listened to our first graduate of Jumpstart. I had the privilege to do the charge down at Brent Press uh, Friday night. And I re- he got up and gave his testimony. When Curtis talked, I'm, I'm, on, I'm hoping praying you're going to be able to hear his testimony too. Uh, but when Curtis was talking, here's what he said. He said, I went back and picked up my Bible. And pastor, it made sense. Up until then, I'd read my Bible. It was just, I remember him looking at me. It's just mumbo jumbo. And he said, that night it made sense. I couldn't put it down. And I said, Curtis, why do you think it made sense? He said, oh, I've already been to my BTS classes. God gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. By grace, through faith in Christ. What a glorious, glorious truth of the gospel, of the saving grace of Christ. So now the defense attorney has just made this glorious announcement to you that the helpless good news of the gospel for the helpless and the hopeless is that by the power of God, he has provi- God has provided the righteousness of God in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. Well, how can, but wait just a minute. How can this be? How can God, how can God justify How can God be just and justify the unjustifiable? How can God be just and clear the condemned? How can God be holy, just, and declare innocent those who are guilty? How can that be possible? Three great words. Three great words, wonderful words, justification. Remember, that's not just as if I'd never sinned. It is actually not simply a word of pardon that you're forgiven. It's a word, it's a, it's a word of a legal declaration and verdict of innocent. 
You're not under sin. You're under grace. You are innocent. You are innocent. Well, how in the world can I? You see what he's doing? You see those three words, justification, propitiation, and um, redemption? Let me share with you what Sinclair Ferguson says here. He said, Paul has just borrowed from the world of the world of the court, the world of the law room, the world of the courtroom, from the temple and from the market. From the courtroom, he has brought this word justification. It's in opposition to condemnation. Condemnation is guilty and condemned. Justification is innocent and accepted. So instead of where I've told you, you deserve condemnation and guilt and you're under law, under wrath, under sin, now in Christ you are now under grace and you are now declared innocent. Justification. How did that happen? Oh, next word, propitiation. Now we go to the temple. Now we see the scapegoat having the sins placed upon him and sent outside the camp, taking the sins away from the people. Expiation. Then we see him, then lay his hand, the priest lay his hands on the, on the lamb and the lamb is sacrificed as a vicarious sacrifice, as a way of propitiating the wrath of God. Someone innocent dying in the place of those who were guilty. Folks, listen, if you had been there on the day of atonement and the day that they are sacrificing the lambs, all you would have seen is death and gore. And God's got his picture in front of you. The wages of sin is death. And it's either God's wrath upon you for eternal death. But can there be someone who can take my place Remove my guilt by taking my sins outside the camp and paying for them. And then give himself for me so that God's wrath has been satisfied through the love of God by sending the Son of God who takes my place, propitiation. Well, the only way that that can happen is for that one who takes your place to accomplish redemption. I have used this illustration a couple of times. I'm going to use it one more if you don't mind. And, um, but the last time I used it, a couple, about three years ago, I think, a lady came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm going to help you. I will show this to you uh, in just a moment. So when I was a kid, this word redemption, see, because of redemption, there's propitiation. And because of redemption and propitiation, there is justification. I'm declared innocent because someone has satisfied the holiness of God and provided a righteousness that is acceptable to God. How did that person do that? They took my place to redeem me, to buy me back from the curse of my sin. That's redemption. 
And I had a long search for a way to try to understand this. And unfortunately, I'm getting so old that this doesn't work anymore because of all the people that have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm going to give you an illustration of my illustration, even as I share it with you. When I was, uh, oh, just a little bit outside of elementary school, probably junior high, my mother used to take me every Friday night when she would buy groceries, only one place to buy groceries, that's the A&P. And we'd go to the A&P to buy groceries. And I went, not because she needed company, I went because I was the muscle. I would carry the bags from the A&P counter to my car and uh, to our car, her car. And then I would, when we got home, I'd carry the, carry them in, put them up on the table and then go sit at, put them up on the table and then sit at the end of the table. My mother would then put the, uh, would put the groceries up and said, well, didn't you help her? No, she would not let me touch them. My mother had a place for everything, everything, a place. You have no idea. I, I could sit and give you stories. You just wouldn't believe. Uh, I'm, OCD, go look it up dictionary, her picture's right there. You'll see it. There's no doubt about it. And uh, so she, um, and that's the way we, that's the way it would. Well, then, Harry, what were you doing sitting at the end of the table? Well, that's simple. The reason we went to A&P is because they had this deal called green stamps. You ever heard of them? Green stamps. And that meant if you bought something, the lady would ring it up on a, well, some of you don't even know what this is, a cash register. And you got to go to the museum, you'll find it. And they would ring it up on the cash register. And then she would look at the total and she would turn around behind her. And there was a small green cash register. And she would punch that total in. And out the back, I remember when I was a little boy, that was like magic. All these reams of green stamps would come out. And when the reams of green stamps would come out, um, you would then take those green stamps home. You would put them in the green stamp book. And then when you got enough, you could take them to the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Store and put the books on the counter. I said there was this deal. If you get like uh, uh, 10,000 books, you can get a can opener. And so that was the deal. And so you would bring them and you would put it there and then they would take the books away and bring you your can opener. That was what would happen. So my job was to sit at the end of the table and mother would bring the book to me and then she'd give me the green stamps. And here's what it is, real live. If you want to see one and touch it, I'll let you do that carefully. And then uh, there it is. And so my job was to sit down there and mama used to call it lick it and stick it. And I would uh, lick it, and then I would stick it in there. And I had to do it just perfect so they could all get in there. And then uh, that was my job, lick it and taste the same. Yeah, yeah, it still tastes the same. Uh, Lick it and stick it. So I got married. I said to my wife, are we going to go to the A&P? She said, oh, yeah. I said, do you you want to do green stamps? She said, oh, yeah, that's why we went to the A&P. I said, sure. So we're first married. We go to our first time at the grocery store. We come home. All I've done is just change women. I just go sit down at the table and... I got the book and I got the stamps out and I started licking and putting them in. Cindy looked at me. I'm married National Honor Society. And uh, Cindy looked at me and said, what are you doing? I said, this is called lick it and stick it, honey. And she said, well, here. And she got this bowl and she put a sponge in it and put water in it. And then she ran this stamp across the, the sponge and got it wet and stuck it on there. I said, are you kidding me? Do you know how much glue is in my stomach right now? (laughs) 
So uh, we got that straight. But you see, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, that's how it is. Um, first of all, I love my mama. Although she was a, my mama used to put newspaper underneath the cuckoo clock just in case. You never can tell. And so, so I love my mama. I love those experiences. But what I love now is to look at that and know that 2,000 years ago, on that day, now, Jesus went to the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And my sins were laid on him, and he paid for them. In other words, he put himself on the counter of God's justice. Paid for my sin, your sin, all the sins of all of his people for all of eternity. And then he gives us from the cross his perfect righteousness. And because he died, I say this, I say this reverently, God cannot send me to hell for my sins. Jesus has already taken all of God's judgment for my sins. God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, but you don't have to be punished twice. There's no double jeopardy. He paid it all. And God, if he were to say, you can't let him in, Jesus would be able to say, and obviously I'm just trying to make a point, God cannot keep me out of heaven. I belong there as much as Jesus. I've got his righteousness. Cleansed by his blood. Clothed with his righteousness. My sure defense, my righteousness, is Christ alone. So here's the takeaway, and we'll close in prayer. There is only one place. There is only one place for the helpless and hopeless to go to be saved from their sins. There's only one place. It's not the temple. It's not the church. It's not the preacher. It's not the baptismal font. The only place to go for salvation is Jesus. Your sure defense, your righteousness. This same Jesus is coming back, and on that day, on that day, he will come to bring judgment upon the guilty and the condemned. But now, because of he has come on that day 2,000 years ago. And that day, he didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bear the judgment of condemned and guilty sinners. There is only one place to go, and that is Jesus, in Christ alone. And there is only one pathway to Jesus. And that's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm not going to heaven because I preach sermons. I'm not going to heaven by God's grace even if I preach biblical sermons. I'm not going to heaven because I prayed with people who gave their life to Christ. The only way I can get to heaven is to go to that one place of salvation, and that's Jesus and what he did on the cross. 
whereby he takes away our sin and gives us his righteousness. Have you come to him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Do you remember when Abraham was negotiating with the three angels about Sodom and Gomorrah? Y'all remember that story? One of those angels was Jesus, the angel of the Lord, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, two angels with him. And he tells him he's going to bring judgment, but Abraham's got his nephew there and he begins to bargain with him. But if there's 50 righteous, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? If there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, you remember him working it all the way down and you get all the way down, get down to 10, get down to five and then... And then Abraham, and every time God says, what does, what does Jesus say to him? He says to him, if you, hey, if there are 10 righteous, I'll spare. On the account of the righteous, I'll spare him. And then he quits. Why did he quit? Here's why he quit. Two reasons. Number one, he quit because there is none righteous. No, not one. Secondly, he quit. That while there is no one righteous, he did find a way through the holiness of God to salvation. And that way for sinners to be saved is for a righteous one to take their place. And the one he's negotiating with is the one who will come to Bethlehem, to Egypt, Nazareth, the temple, Calvary, the tomb, to take our place. And with his righteousness, we now go to the place he has prepared for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. You know, just say, Pastor, as you pray, Would you please remember me? I have not yet come to that Christ, and I will pray for you. Oh, my, I will pray for you. I also want to give you an invitation to this Savior and to let you know that when we close this service, I invite you right up here to the front. There's some of our prayer team that will be here to pray with you about a commitment to Christ. Maybe you're here today, and there's all kinds of things and challenges that we're facing in this chaotic world, and you just want somebody to pray with. They'll be here to pray with you as well. But today, if you've not come to Christ, don't go try to buy it. It's by grace alone. It's already been bought. Don't try to work it. You receive it by faith alone. Oh, you'll do works, but those works will be for your Savior, not for your salvation. The place to come is Christ, who he is, the son of God, who became a man. The word became flesh. God so loved the world, he gave his son. And he went to the cross and from the cross, he gives you his righteousness, even as he takes away your sin and pays for it. And you can hear from him, innocent, justified. God is just and found a way to justify those who by faith and repentance receive him.
you come to him. Jesus, thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for the gospel. So fill us up with it that the world has no foothold in our life. And let us walk, not in the triumph of self, but in the triumph of Christ, who bears us up when we falter and who will bring us home with his righteousness. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.